Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. There are many things that disturb me, and some of it is the stuff that is happening to our health, the things that our government is passing that deliberately hurt us. I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean deliberately, but somehow or other it ends up hurting us. Um, There's many toxins around in EMF and glyphosate and GMOs, and these all, I suspect, contribute to illness. For example... Pustai did, and did some studies showing that uh, GMO was very hazardous to health. What happened to him? Well, uh, reportedly from one witness, um, Monsanto called up Clinton, who called up Tony Blair, with the instruction to silence Pustai. That happened. His home was burglarized. His uh, science was taken, etc. But even more so, there's other folks with the same experience. This is Dr. Seralini in France, similar experience. And we are trying to promote these things all over the world. It's not only in our country. For example, one person was in the room when Hillary Clinton went into the Hungarian ambassador's, I mean, no, the Hungarian minister's office, as a health minister or minister, saying, we've got to talk to you about GMO. The Hungarian minister said, no, it's illegal in our country. We won't have any of it here. You can do what you want in your country. Uh, then the American ambassador to Hungary stormed in with the same complaints, same response. They abruptly got up and left very rudely. In the coming weeks, Mr. Damon, who wrote the book uh, with uh, Liberty and Sickness for All, will explain to us how aspartame, a known carcinogen, was passed through approval so that we all drink it. Uh, they had studies showing it uh, involved cancer. Uh, they were... T- um, fixing these studies so it didn't show. I think uh, the government was suing the aspartame makers at that point. And then I think uh, one very prominent government official, of whom we've all heard of, managed to push this through so we all have the pleasure of eating it. David Kennedy's going to come on the show to show how fluoride is in our water. Uh, This is a known biotoxin. You can look it up, and it's very hazardous to the health. And when the Clean Air Act came out, not allowed to have it in the air. So they put it in the water. Uh, His theory is that the American Dental Association was paid handsomely to push this cause. Fluoride has been shown to affect our uh, IQ, affect offspring, etc. So this is an alarming picture. And so with us today, we have Stephanie Seneff, who will talk to us about a part of this. She's been an avid student and uh, researcher on some of these toxins that are making us sick. And uh, in particular, she's been studying a lot about glyphosate. She's been doing research on statins, etc. So let me introduce Stephanie. Uh, in addition to being my college roommate, she is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has a BS degree from MIT in biology and an MS 
EE, and PhD degrees from MIT as well in electrical engineering computer science. She's published over 200 reviewed papers in scientific journals and conference proceedings. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals in micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup. And also she's focused on the mineral sulfur, which is vital to our health and detoxification systems. She's authored over 30 peer-reviewed journal papers over the past few years on these topics and has delivered numerous slide presentations around the world. So welcome, Stephanie. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, what uh, led you to do research on our toxic environmental chemicals? And how long have you been Pretty studying much, this topic? I would topic? say I'll, Go ahead. How long have you been studying this topic? Uh, yeah, I would say that I was inspired mostly by autism. I was very concerned about the autism, the rise in autism that I was noticing 10 years ago already, the rise in the rates. And I knew it had to be something environmental, you know, because the genetic disease doesn't behave that way. And um, I set out systematically examining every toxin I could find in the environment of children to try to figure out which one or which combination of, of toxic chemicals might be causing this epidemic. And um, and I, I've searched for five years before I came up with glyphosate as a possibility. I wasn't thinking of glyphosate at all because it's Roundup. Roundup is safe. We all know we can go down and buy it at the hardware store and use it on our dandelions in our yard. You know, we've been taught it's a very safe chemical. That's its feature, you know, and it's used enormously in our core food crops. So we're exposed to it heavily in our food supply. Um, I happened to hear a two-hour lecture by Don Huber, Professor Don Huber, who's a retired professor from Purdue University, 80 years old and still going strong. And that, uh, that was four years ago, maybe five years ago, a total game changer for me. I was at the edge of my seat. I was like, oh, my God, this is it, because... He was pointing out what glyphosate does to human physiology. And at that point, I had been frustrated. I knew a lot about autism. I knew about the symptoms of autism, and it's a very complex syndrome. But I was coming up short. I was very frustrated. I couldn't find what, what chemical it was that was causing this. I was sure there was something I was missing, and he just filled that hole enormously well. I am, like, so amazed at how well glyphosate's to- toxicity, mechanisms of toxicity explain Autism, and not only autism, it turns out, but many, many other diseases that are also going up dramatically right now. So now I feel like uh, glyphosate, which is Roundup, is the most important, by far, toxic exposure we are experiencing right now in our lives. Yes, I've studied autism myself, and I see it as the final common pathway of everything that can go wrong. And there's so many environmental toxins. I mean, the studies haven't studied all these yet because it's very hard to find controls, but some of the studies have shown exposure to particulate matter increases the probability. Martha Herbert is is looking at EMF, electromagnetic frequencies, which uh, reportedly open the blood-brain barrier. Um, they affect the calcium channels. They affect cells, which you can see it affects the whole body with studies. And so there's so many uh, environmental hazards that we're being faced with that certainly, I mean, it's it's a stacked deck. And it used to be one out of 2,500 kids with autism, and now it's like one out of 42 boys, one out of 38 in Korea. I mean, this is, it's, and it is mostly environmental. So this is horrifying. These are the canaries in the coal mine, folks, and this can happen to all of us. These kids happen to be the most vulnerable. 
So tell us more about glyphosate's role in this. Yeah, of course, right. And the latest number out of CDC is 1 in 36. This is what just came out a couple of weeks ago, 1 in 36 wow, kids, not that's boys. alarming. It's really terrifying. It's just continuing to go up, you know. I, and I, we're going to be uh, ruined by it. The country is going to be ruined if we just let this keep on happening. This is what I feel. So I feel very passionately. And I agree with you. EMF, I've looked at the vaccines, the aluminum, the mercury, the glutamate in the vaccines, the mercury in the teeth, the EMF, all of those, the fluoride even, and, and of course lead. I mean, all of those are contributing to brain damage. Um, but I still think it's the glyphosate that's kind of sewing all of them together and making all of them more toxic than they would otherwise be. And I've talked about that in my papers, how... Glyphosate increases the toxicity of aluminum, increases the toxicity of mercury, and also opens up the, the brain barrier and also uh, causes the calcium uptake, just like the EMF. So everything is working together, you know, in a synergistic toxic soup. And we have to really just completely change our view towards these chemicals. We really have to do a dramatic turnaround of the whole way we grow food, you know, and, and of course the EMF is a huge issue because the kids are so hooked on their iPads, it's going to be so difficult to unwind that now that we've gotten so so used to these conveniences and, you know, ways to uh, entertain our children. I mean, it's just really going to be so difficult to uh, to reverse this. Um, glyphosate, so glyphosate and autism, I don't know where to begin, but I, one of the things that I was well aware of when I heard Don Huber's talk was that autism is a gut disease, and many, many kids with autism have various issues with the gut, you know, stomach aches, diarrhea, um, uh, just a lot of, and then there's, people have studied and shown that there's all kinds of dysbiosis, overgrowth of of clostridia species and things like that, sulfovibrios, sort of an imbalance in the gut microbes, you know, all of this, um, and poor um, bowel control. And uh, and so I knew that, it, and I have also learned, of course, that gut and brain are very intimately connected. And this is something that's really come out lately. There have been so many papers recently uh, exploring the gut microbes and how their imbalances are linked to various diseases, and certainly autism is one of them. Glyphosate has been shown in multiple studies to preferentially kill the beneficial bacteria and therefore allow space for the pathogens to overgrow. And that's like a key starting point, I think, for the autism. You end up with a leaky gut uh, barrier, and this is partly because you have these inflammatory cells that come in to try to clear the pathogens. But it's also because glyphosate disrupts the bile acids. This is really important, and it's a piece of the puzzle that I've been figuring out most recently. Um, it's, it's been established that glyphosate disrupts enzymes in the liver that are essential for making bile acids. And when the bile acids are insufficient, lots of things go wrong in the gut. One of them is that you're unable to digest fats. And this is why we're ending up with an epidemic in fatty liver disease and also in high serum cholesterol because the fats are not being properly managed in the liver anymore because of the glyphosate poisoning. And so um, you get into the, the brain problems are more complex. And, of course, calcium uptake is a critical thing. And multiple studies have shown that glyphosate causes many cells to respond to glyphosate exposure by increasing their uptake of calcium. And, and the neurons, excess calcium uptake will burn the neuron out if, if it gets too much calcium. And there's a glutamate receptor that kicks off, you know, this excess glutamate in the brain. This is caused by glyphosate. It's been shown in studies with, with mice. And um, so the calcium uptake burns up the neuron, and that's, of course, going to cause brain damage. Uh, one thing I focus on a lot is sulfate, and I talk about that in a lot of my talks, and it looks to me like glyphosate is a complete train wreck for sulfate, sulfate synthesis and sulfate transport, sulfate delivery, 
sulfate uptake, everything with sulfate is messed up by glyphosate. Multiple studies on mice, mouse models of autism have shown very, very interesting uh, results that show a severe deficiency in heparin sulfate. It's a, a sugar complex sugar chain, sulfated sugar chain that shows up. It's a crucial uh, molecule in the in the ventricles inside the cerebral spinal fluid in the brain, and the heparin sulfate deficiency within those ventricles has been linked to multiple mouse models of autism as well as in human studies of, of the brains of autistic children. One study in, amazing was in, in particular was amazing because the specific pathology that they introduced in these mice, the only pathology they introduced, was to disrupt their ability to make heparin sulfate in the brain, in the cerebral spinal fluid. And that ended up with a mouse complete manifestation of all the mouse features of mouse autism. It's pretty cool that they can figure out mouse autism by examining the mouse's behavior, but they've got ways to characterize that. And that, to me, was just astonishing. So I think it's a disruption of sulfate homeostasis on top of a disrupted gut, a leaky gut barrier, which sets up a leaky brain barrier. This allows things like aluminum and mercury to get into the brain and also wayward proteins. There's a lot of problems with proteins, and we have all these... um, Into, you know, all these uh, food intolerances. The kids just have an enormous problem with um, not just the autistic kids, but all the kids these days seem to have various sensitivities to foods, you know, gluten intolerance, casein intolerance in milk, soy allergies and peanut allergies and all of these allergies that the kids have today. It's just ridiculous how out of control these allergies are. And this, I think, is because glyphosate is disrupting the uh, enzymes, the, the pancreatic enzymes that metabolize the proteins. And so these un Uh, digested proteins are ending up past the leaky gut barrier, past the leaky brain barrier, they get into the brain and cause autoimmune disease. So that's another piece of the puzzle. I mean, it's just amazingly complicated, but it's so clear to me. I'd also like to add that there are many other players. Glyphosate is obviously one of them, but glutamate can be uh, increased by many different things. And on the show, we had Catherine Reed, who actually reversed her child's autism by taking all the glutamate out of the diet. Doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody, because as I said, autism is the final common pathway of everything that can go wrong, and there's so many things that go wrong. So there are a lot of other players, and why we have the food allergies and gluten sensitivities, other players, there's so many other reasons as well. I mean, the highly processed foods, all the toxins, etc. But glyphosate is definitely one of the major players. And Stephanie is right about that. Okay. Um, what other diseases do you see uh, associated with autism? Or associated I mean, with autism with, or associated with glyphosate. With glyphosate. With glyphosate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a huge list. Uh, it's very interesting, actually. Nancy Swanson is the person who really took me off to this concept of the rising uh, uh, rates of these various diseases. And she wrote a paper with... Well, I wasn't involved in that paper. She wrote a paper um, with other colleagues and uh, where she showed... Uh, she had over 30 figures in that paper showing correlations between glyphosate, the use of glyphosate on core crops and the rise in all of these diseases. And I can give you a big list, and we can certainly start with autism. Autism has a perfect match. If you look at the uh, amount of glyphosate used in the previous four years, um, integrated over four years, compared to six, six-year-old kids, the rate of autism in first grade, those two curves exactly coincide. They have like a 0.997 correlation coefficient. It's a perfect match. So it's kind of an estimate of the exposure of that child to glyphosate over the previous, from the age of two to the age of six, you could say. 
um, people say that um, that the uh, many of these curves show a co- coincidence. You know, the glyphosate is going up exactly in step with the disease, which is going up exponentially. And a lot of people have said, well, that's exactly in step. That doesn't make sense. There should be some kind of a delay. And that, there's no problem with that because it, the curve is exponential. And when you integrate an exponential, you get an exponential again. So you could be talking about the entire lifespan exposure to glyphosate and comparing that to the disease, and you would see exactly the same or essentially the same curve. So it's, um, you could say that the lifetime exposure to glyphosate is highly correlated, for example, with the rate of, of Alzheimer's in the elderly. There's a very strong match with Alzheimer's, with dementia. There's a, perf- a very good match with pancreatic cancer, thyroid cancer, colon cancer, liver disease, kidney disease, kidney failure. Um, Let's see. Uh, of course, celiac disease matches actually very well with the use of glyphosate on wheat, which I think is what's causing celiac disease. They expose wheat to glyphosate right before the harvest as a desiccant, and they do that also with many other um, crops, including the, the legumes, so like the, the chickpeas and the garbanzo beans. If you're eating hummus, you really had better be eating organic hummus because the non-organic hummus is highly contaminated with glyphosate due to the use of the glyphosate on the beans right before the harvest. Um, so, yeah, gut dysbiosis, I mentioned, uh, inflammatory bowel disease is going up dramatically in children as well as in adults. And, of course, all these food allergies are going up dramatically in step with glyphosate as well. But this is an association. Uh, what uh, is there any proof to me- lead that it could be causing it? Because my suspicion is as many things contributing, this toxic soup you referred to, uh, put them all together and it's increasing it. So is there, I mean, so uh, what proof is there that glyphosate is a major, con- I believe it is a huge contributor, but what, uh, I mean, is there any proof that it is a super huge contributor? Well, proof is a very strong word, and of course what I have done is to look very carefully at how glyphosate works in human physiology, and then to look at the details of how these diseases unfold, and to see if there is a correlation between glyphosate's mechanism and the disease. And uh, one thing that I have, that I believe is that glyphosate, so first of all, glyphosate is a glycine molecule. Glycine is an amino acid. It's one of the coding amino acids. It's a very, very important one. And there are many proteins that have what's called essential glycines in them, uh, a place where there's a glycine in the code. So this is the DNA code that codes for the proteins. Hopefully most of the listeners know about this. It's sort of basic biology. But it's beads on a string. that The amino acids are assembled as beads on a string, and each protein has a unique uh, assemble, uh, you know, assembled string that is that protein. And in, in, in particular order of those amino acids uh, is essential to make that protein do its job correctly. And proteins are the workhorses of the body. They're enzymes, they're, they're ion channels, they're receptors. I mean, there's just really so many things that proteins do uh, to make the body work correctly. And so proteins have glycine in them, and many proteins have, I would say hundreds, maybe even thousands of proteins have places where the glycine has to be glycine. If you swap out glycine, you completely ruin the protein's ability to do its job. It's quite amazing, actually. And one thing I have been doing over the past two years since I got this idea, Anthony actually suggested to me that glyphosate might be actually swapping in for glycine by mistake during protein synthesis. And at first I was skeptical, but then he said, no, take a look, you know, and so I started looking at the research literature, and it was basically, oh, my God. I mean, I was so excited. This was two years ago, December, I remember, just 
almost obsessed with reading papers on glycine residues in proteins because it became extremely easy. And I hadn't mentioned to you obesity and diabetes, but both of those are very highly correlated. We have an epidemic. As soon as people start eating Western food, they start getting fat and they start getting diabetes pretty much around the world. And so those were the first two that I looked at. So you think diabetes, insulin. So type type 2 diabetes is insulin receptor is misbehaving. So I looked up insulin receptor. Right away I found essential glycine in insulin receptor. If you replace that glycine with something else, the receptor will not go to the membrane and you will end up with type 2 diabetes. There was the obesity problem, so that's lipase because lipase digests fat. And you look up lipase and you find that it has essential glycines that are, if they're swapped out for something else, the protein is broken. So basically... It was really easy to find uh, specific examples. When I got into neurological diseases, it was even more amazing because, for example, Alzheimer's, there's a lot of research on Alzheimer's. Amyloid beta plaque is supposed to be a key factor in Alzheimer's, you know, the, the sort of um, tangles and plaques that build up in the Alzheimer's brain. Amyloid beta, so they have zeroed in on a particular peptide sequence within the amyloid beta molecule and they've identified two glycine residues within that specific peptide sequence that are the source of trouble. And those glycines are highly conserved. They've been in that protein for over many, many, many generations. And you know, it's very unusual not to have glycine there. But glycine there is what's causing the protein to misfold. And that's bizarre because it shouldn't have caused the mispro- protein to misfold. It wouldn't have survived through generations of, of um, evolution. So what's happening is that glycine is getting swapped out for glyphosate, and that's what's causing it to misfold. And I have papers that show that glycine residues in proteins often play an important role in preventing them from forming this kind of amyloid beta, you know, misfolding problem. So the glycine is there to protect the protein from misfolding. When you swap out glycine and put in glyphosate, then the protein misfolds and you get things like Alzheimer's. The same thing is true for prion diseases. Uh, ALS and Parkinson's disease, all four of them, each of them has a specific protein that's linked to that disease and where it is specific glycines within that protein that are the troublemakers. For example, prion diseases, AAGA, AGAA, that's a palindromic sequence within prion proteins that has been targeted as the troublemaker in those prion proteins. So they're finding that it's the glycines in these proteins that are causing trouble whereas glycines are supposed to protect from misfolding. So what is going on here? What's going on is that glyphosate is going in in place of the glycine. That's what I think. Uh, You'd mentioned diabetes. When we had Joseph Pisano on the show, we were talking about uh, there's there's other toxins that will directly affect the insulin uh, receptor so it doesn't work. So it's my premise that this whole toxic soup is leading to this predicament with glyphosate being one of the main players. I mean, and you might be 100% right about the glyphosate substituting for the glycine, but isn't there a lot of debate in the literature about this at the moment? Uh, not, not a lot of debate. There's actually pretty much a complete dismissal of this idea. I mean, it's been really remarkable how, um, how confident people are that this is not happening. And I find that really shocking because when you look at the actual protein that glyphosate is known to disrupt in plants, which is... Uh, is called P, uh, EPSP synthase, and this is a protein in the chicken mate pathway, and that protein is supposed to be the, the main target of toxicity of glyphosate that kills the weeds. And when you look at that protein and you look at how uh, 
multiple species of plants and multiple species of bacteria have independently come up with a solution to fix that protein so that it's not sensitive to glyphosate. And guess what that solution is? It's to swap out a glycine and replace it with alanine. Alanine is, a, is the amino acid that's most close to glycine. It only has an extra methyl group compared to glycine. All of these plants and all of these microbes independently discovered that if they swap out the glycine, they fix the problem. And that glycine is at the active site where glyphosate is known to disrupt by messing up the attachment of PEP fitting into the pocket. It no longer fits in the pocket because glyphosate is substituting for that glycine and sticking out in the pocket and causing trouble. That is the easiest way to explain that. And I do not know what other way anyone could possibly come up with that would make more sense than that. Yeah, unfortunately, many uh, uh, geniuses and people who see outside the box, uh, they might be dismissed during their lifetime, and that's unfortunate. But I guess th- there are some scientists that want it proven in a scientific arena, and perhaps that won't happen. But many geniuses are dismissed, so that must be very frustrating for you. Well, it is. I mean, I think that it's so obvious. When, when At the amount of work that I've done looking at all these proteins, I keep finding more every day. I mean, another example is myosin. Myosin is a really important protein in the muscles. It, it uh, supports muscle contraction. It has a glycine at position 699. If you swap out alanine for glycine, you, you bring it down to 1% capacity to contract, and that's how you can get chronic fatigue syndrome. So, I mean, you can just basically... You can find a protein that fits with just about all of these weird diseases that are showing up these days that we didn't used to have. And, um, and I just think um, it, it makes incredible sense. It is so beautiful that I, I can't believe it's not happening. I can take another example. There's a cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver. Uh, glyphosate has been shown to severely suppress the cyp enzymes. That's the ones that make the biolapses. They also detoxify a lot of other toxic chemicals. So by virtue of not having them working properly, Lots of other chemicals are going to be much more toxic than they would otherwise be. I think this is affecting the bees, where glyphosate is working synergistically with the neonicotinoids to, uh, to mess up the bees. But the cytochrome P450 enzymes, so I've looked at them with respect to glycine, and there's a lovely paper that shows um, all these, there's a lot of these enzymes, and they have all these different classes, and each class has sort of different, you know, characteristic features of the genome sequence. But every one of them has a particular short sequence, short peptide sequence that has either two or three, sometimes three, sometimes two, depending upon the particular enzyme, absolutely conserve glycines within this critical region um, of the protein that's necessary for its function. So again, you know, this is how you could explain why glyphosate is disrupting the side enzymes. Wow. Uh- why are people not listening? I mean, uh, I mean, there's uh, glyphosate found in Oreo cookies, goldfish crackers, Cheerios, uh, <laughs> sugar beets, as you say, peanuts and hummus. Cows get it into their milk. Why are we letting this happen? Well, this is what I would like to know. I mean, to me, the obvious, uh, the evidence is overwhelmingly obvious that this that this chemical is causing enormous damage. And I don't understand how, I mean, I know the industry has huge amounts of money and that they use that money to influence the legislators, but it is just remarkable to me how successful Monsanto has been in concealing this toxic aspect of glyphosate. It's very um, insidious and cumulative, and so therefore it's hard to see because it takes time for it to develop. And you get a single protein here and there getting a glyphosate swapped in, it's not going to cause a lot of trouble, but over time... 
it builds up in your tissues. And Monsanto showed that in their own studies. They did a study. They've done studies where they feed radio-labeled glyphosate to animals, and then they can look at the tissues and see if the radio-label is showing up in the tissues. Monsanto claims that glyphosate goes straight through within two weeks and comes out through the urine and through the feces, and very little of it accumulates. But they know that's not true because they have looked at the muscle tissues, for example. They looked at the muscle tissues of an animal exposed to glyphosate, and they found the radioactivity was there, but when they tried to measure the amount of glyphosate that there was there, it fell far short. So a lot of the radioactivity was unaccounted for in the glyphosate, according to the regular glyphosate measure that you use, which requires an independent glyphosate molecule. So they understood, and what they did was they did proteolysis. They added enzymes to break down the proteins in the muscle. And by doing that, then they increased the yield of the amount of glyphosate that they recovered from that radio label. In other words, you can see the glyphosate because of the radio label, but you can't see it because it's not an isolated molecule. It's sitting inside a protein chain. And once you digest that protein, then all of a sudden that molecule gets freed up by that digestion. But not all of it, because glyphosate makes the molecule very, very difficult to digest, which is why we end up with an epidemic in autoimmune diseases that are related to undigested proteins. Not just the proteins in our food, but also things like viruses and bacteria. And even our own cells, like our collagen, can get... Collagen has huge amounts of glycine in it. And collagen is the, most, is the biggest protein, the most common protein in the body. It's in all our joints, our bones, our skin. Collagen has over 20% of the amino acids in collagen are glycine residues. And they're getting swapped out for glyphosate. And that is causing a lot of pain. It's causing joint pain. You know, bone rubbing against bone because the collagen's not working correctly. Collagen needs to have those glycines in order to form its proper crystalline structure. And that gives it its elastic strength and its, you know, its elasticity and also its ability to hold water. So those things fall apart. The joint becomes very painful and the person starts taking opioid drugs and we end up with an opioid drug overdose epidemic. I think that's what's going on there. I would just like to remind the listener, we've had a lot of people talk about autoimmune disease and um, uh, proteins uh, seeping through our guts into the blood system, leading to autoimmune reactions and all sorts of diseases. I think there's many things in the environment that does that, many toxins, including EMF. It's just this big toxic soup, and glyphosate is a picture of that. So I like to draw the bigger picture. It is a lot of things going on that, you know, and undigested proteins slipping into the body through a leaky gut or permeable intestine it triggers off many of these things. And I think that's one of the reasons we're getting so ill. So how could we pass the dark act, which means we don't we can't find out if something has um, GMO in it or not? Well, I mean, the the, uh, legislators are completely controlled by the chemical industry. I think it's just hopeless, really. I don't feel we can solve this problem through government. I think we have to solve it grassroots, bottom-up. I think individuals have to realize that when they switch to an organic diet, they're going to feel a lot healthier, and then they're going to have to tell their friends and tell their family, you need to do this, too. We need to do it grassroots, bottom-up. I don't think the government is going to do it. I agree, but glyphosate is in all of our organic food to a lesser degree. It's been found in the Antarctic. It's in everything. It's in uh, pregnant women and their milk. I mean, it sounds like we've ruined our food supply. I agree. It's very sad that we really can't get healthy food anymore. I mean, I think that 
I hope that the humans will be smart enough to to discontinue manufacture of this toxic chemical at some point before we, you know, destroy all life on Earth. I mean, I think we're headed that way. This chemical is extremely toxic. Won't they come up with and, another chemical? They'll just say, oh, we've... This well, I know. I mean, actually, this. glufosinate is very similar. Glufosinate is actually a natural uh, immune... Uh, it's a natural analog of, of the coding amino acid glutamate. So it has the same principle of toxicity as glyphosate, and it's also an herbicide. And they've been swapping out glyphosate for glufosinate because glyphosate is not working very well anymore. They've got all these problems with these glyphosate-resistant crops, I mean, weeds, because they're mutating and getting rid of that glycine in the EPSP synthase, and now they're happy to, to continue to grow even in the presence of glyphosate. So that's one reason why the usage has gone up so dramatically, because they're getting a lot of glyphosate-resistant weeds growing among the glyphosate-resistant crops. You know, they have these GMO crops that they engineered to resist glyphosate. By, by the way, they do that by inserting that gene that has that glycine mutation in it. So they got rid of the glycine. The, the, the microbe got rid of the glycine in the, in the gene, the EPSP synthase, and then they, the, the, the engineers inserted that microbial gene into the plant in order to produce the GMO Roundup Ready crops. They have that gene that doesn't have glycine at the active site in EPSP synthase. That's how that works. But because of the development of all these um, weeds that are resistant, uh, they've had to use more and more glyphosate to the point where it's not, it's not working anymore. Now they have to add other things on top of the glyphosate. So they're introducing new GMOs. For example, uh, they have a... Um, it's, which one is it? Uh, they've got a glyphosate plus. <laughs> blanking on which oh, one wow. it is. Icamba, <laughs> maybe? I think there may even be other ones. I think, ones. I think they've it, got yeah. these Endless Duo. Endless Duo is the name of this new chemical they're offering that has glyphosate plus um, something else, and I'm forgetting which one that is. 2,4-D. I think it's 2,4-D, which is a component of Agent Orange. But now, basically, uh, they're just adding more toxic chemicals on top of the glyphosate because the glyphosate's not working. Now, Roundup, I think, uh, which, you know, glyphosate is one of the primary ingredients. I think Roundup has some other nasties in it that cause problems all by themselves. And maybe That's they're all true. Suggested. I mean, yeah. Seralini has talked about these other chemicals um, that they add as adjuvants to make uh, Roundup more toxic. Um, and Seralini claims that they are up to a thousand times more toxic than glyphosate acutely. And you have to be careful about acutely versus insidiously because I think what happens, glyphosate is not that toxic acutely, which is part of what misleads you with it. But it, what it does is it works its way into your tissues and slowly causes damage, um, eroding your health bit by bit. So you don't notice the immediate exposure. It takes much later after many years of accumulating. It actually shows up in the highest amounts in the bone marrow. So it goes into the bone marrow and accumulates there. And then when you get some kind of an injury, immune cells come out of the bone marrow carrying glyphosate on their backs and they deliver it to the site of injury. And that just makes the, the injury not heal properly. And I'd like to step back for a moment because glyphosate is one of the ingredients in Roundup, which is a lot of ingredients just to, you know, make it you know, crops, you know, so that the crops can grow. Now, the premise of these GMO crops, originally with the FDA, the scientists came out with memos saying, we need more study on this, just like Pustai tried to say in England. We need more time. We need more information. 
And these scientists were totally ignored. Uh, they just, FDA just came right out and pushed uh, GMOs and said there's no contradictory uh, evidence. You can check with uh, Stephen Drucker's book, uh, which uh, goes into this in great detail and discusses the memos. But also all the premises for GMO crops, increase the food supply, feed the hungry, less uh, um, you know, insecticides needed. All of those are false because not feeding the world is due to distribution problems and uh, we haven't increased our crops and we've increased the use of insecticides. So every single premise they use to push this on us has failed. Right, I agree. And I read Drucker's book. It's an outstanding book. I wish he had talked more about glyphosate, but he definitely did a good job of covering the issues with the GMOs, which of course is another whole story. And this whole CRISPR technology is also very terrifying. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff coming out. There seems to be an incredibly reckless view that we have towards these novel technologies. We just seem to be innocently, ignorantly deciding what could go wrong and just feeling like, oh, this is going to be fine. And we don't understand what these things do. You know, it's, it's really scary. I will agree with you that it's not just glyphosate, but I do think... Glyphosate is a is a very very big big factor, and I think if we took away the glyphosate, we would see huge improvements in our health, regardless of everything else that's going on. I believe that. Well, I think you're a prophet before her own time, and glyphosate might be the major contributors, but I'm going to hold to the premise it's this whole toxic soup, the plastics, the BPA, it's in all of our canned foods, plastics. I mean, it, you know, it, I mean, it leads to diabetes, it probably affects the insulin receptors, the EMF, which is really showing damage, um, you know, associated with increased brain tumors, etc., uh, I, I kind of hold it's this whole toxic soup, but uh, but I also hold that you're a genius before your time and all these things you're researching and you're alarm, waking people up to are, are major contributors. But whether it's the only, you know, it's just one of the major contributors. No, I don't think it's the idea. only thing either. As I've said, it works synergistically with the others. It's especially effective in increasing the toxicity of mercury and aluminum and glutamate. And those are all yes. part of the vaccine problem. And it's also in the vaccines, which is huge, I think. We found highest levels in the MMR vaccine, which is the one that Wakefield has linked to autism with great controversy. I believe that he's right, and I think the glyphosate is a major factor in the toxicity of the MMR vaccine. I've talked to a lot of experts on vaccines, and they say that children that are healthy with good immune system, the vaccine's not going to affect them. But the ones with a weak immune system who need the vaccine, they're the ones that are pushed over the edge. I mean, the experts that I've spoken to said that. Yeah, and the and interesting this, thing is that the ones for whom the vaccine is not toxic are also the ones who don't need the vaccine. That's the that's, sad truth. Yes, yeah. And it's really sad because I've spoken to many parents. They said their kids are totally normal. Within a few days of the vaccine, uh, they've changed. And this is such a uh, uh, controversial thing. It's just something that I've never really wanted to delve into very much. But I'd like to have somebody, an expert on the show for it, on it because we need to know about all these things that are going on. Right. I mean, the vaccine is a very messy topic, and you have very... Uh fierce fights on both sides of that fence because most people believe and they've been taught to believe that vaccines are an absolutely essential part of a health program. Um, if, you, if you read Suzanne Humphrey's book, Dissolving Illusions, you'll see that a lot of that is not 
is not true. I mean, it's one of those things they've played up because the vaccine industry makes a huge amount of money on the vaccines. And the doctors do, too, the pediatricians. So there's money's involved in that as well. I mean, so you kind of feel the corporations are running the country? Absolutely. And particularly the chemical industry. I think the chemical industry is the big evil giant in our world right now. That's pretty scary. And that includes, of course, both the agrochemical and the pharmaceutical, both of them. They're in cahoots, so they're often the same thing. And, and I suspect that the people who are handing out all these toxic prescription drugs understand that we're poisoning people with the food, and therefore people are taking all these drugs to try to fight all the symptoms they're receiving from the toxic food. It's a great um, scam to make tons of money while everybody's suffering from various illnesses. It's a great scam, and it's working extremely well. Therefore, they're very wealthy, and they use all that money to influence policy. And so we're just going to have this kind of a world until we wake up and realize what's happening and to just have an open revolt against this whole, this whole policy. I have other ex, other experts in confidence have said the same thing. They've been on the show, but they won't say it in public, that that is one of the theories of what might be going on with all these unhealthy things that are being forced on us. And most people, uh, they think that we're conspiracy theorists, and we start talking about the health effects of GMOs and glyphosate and electromagnetic fields. I know. They like to use that term in conspiracy theorists, and that's been, you know, they've made really good use of that term to try to discredit people who speak up and, and talk about these problems. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how, uh, how easy it is to convince most people that, oh, that's a conspiracy theory, and therefore I don't have to talk, worry about it, you know, or she's a nutcase, and therefore I don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's fine. If people don't want to worry about it, they can just go ahead and keep poisoning themselves. But, you know, don't go crying to me when, it, when they get sick. It's just... You know, you can't, you can't protect everybody. Some people are going to listen, and if they go and read the literature like I've done, they'll be convinced. I mean, I have read so many papers about this whole glycine thing, and it is so beautiful. I mean, the, the science is amazing with respect to this molecule. I have really very little doubt that this is happening. It just makes so much sense, and it explains all those correlations that we're seeing. It's quite remarkable. In 2014, weren't there a lot of... Uh People who are advocating for things like you and I are and uh, phys- alternative physicians who mysteriously, their life's ended? I know. I mean, that's something that's being looked into by some of the people in that, in that group, and it's very uh, unnerving to think that that might be happening. I've been resisting that. I don't want to believe that that's happening, but it's extremely um, Disturbing because particularly Bradstreet, I actually heard Bradstreet give a talk uh, about it, I think a month before he died. He gave a wonderful talk on that GC map, and I think he was onto something huge with that. And this is connected to vitamin D and the vitamin D receptor. Um, I've looked into that as well with respect to glyphosate, and, and glycine uh, mutations are an issue there as well. So there's, I think there's good explanation for why this GC map. Um, glycosylation would be messed up because of glyphosate. And this is the thing that they're, he's saying is pointing to autism, and then he has this, this thing about nagalase that's produced by the cancer cells. Um, and then I suspect there was there's some rumor that there was some information flying around that nagalase might be a contaminant in vaccines. And I think that might have been a very dangerous idea or something. I mean, I don't know. I I am fascinated by this, but I remain agnostic as to whether they're really being killed. In his case, it really looked like it, something foul play, you know. 
Um, well, I don't, I don't. I don't know. It's, I don't it's choose scary. to believe it either. Yeah. But uh, let's hope you and I stay around. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a good point. If, if we don't, please make it count, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Any other toxins you'd like to talk about, and how it's contributing to our diseases? Well, aluminum, for sure, I think, and mercury. Of course, a lot, one of the problems with glyphosate is I think it causes bad teeth, so you get cavities, and then, of course, you have the mercury fillings, and so you can get quite a bit of mercury exposure. If the mother has a lot of cavities and she's pregnant, then that mercury is going to go into the developing embryo and cause trouble. And aluminum, of course, there's been a lot of um, aluminum in the vaccines, and they're adding more and more vaccines that contain high levels of aluminum. I'm particularly concerned about Gardasil. Uh, Gardasil really stands out. That's the HPV vaccine that they've recently introduced for the teenagers, and they're giving it to both girls and boys, even though it's a, uh, it supposedly protects from ovarian from a cervical cancer. And this is the HPV virus, which is linked to cervical cancer. They have not shown in any of their studies that it actually does protect from cervical cancer. And in fact, people getting the vaccine are getting cervical cancer shortly after they got the vaccine. And there's a suspicion that the vaccine is actually causing the cancer because it's killing off the more common species of HPV and allowing the more rare species to get a foothold. So there's like over 100 different species of of this HPV. And the original vaccine only vaccinated against, I think, maybe three. And then they introduced a new one, Gardasil 9, which they have now, nine different species. Uh, twice as much as aluminum, and it's a very toxic form of aluminum that's in that vaccine. And um, I think that vaccine, the Japanese have a wonderful story where they were, they had like 95% uh, vaccination rate of HPV vaccine when they first introduced it, and girls started getting sick, and then there was some buzz through Facebook and whatnot, social media, and then some American scientists actually came over and gave some presentations. These were, maybe not American, maybe across the world, actually. I think some people from Israel or something. Some scientists from Canada went to talk there and uh, convinced them that Gardasil was toxic. And uh, they uh, they removed the uh, requirement for Gardasil, and very quickly the rate went down to like 1%. It was amazing. that The, the message was out, and nobody was getting that vaccine anymore in Japan. But that's not true in other parts of the world. The U.S. has the U.S. has been pushing really hard to get kids vaccinated with this HPV vaccine. Its uh, side effects are very scary, and I've looked at it. I've looked at it in, in the VARS database, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, in comparison to other vaccines that the kids are taking, and it stands out as having um, a long list of scary, scary side effects, things like um, anaphylactic shock and... Um, seizures and uh, uh, fainting, you know, sort of um, passing out, um, unconscious, going unconscious, um, and also a, a sudden abortion, uh, termination of your menstrual cycle, so, so when girls become infertile following that vaccine. And as I mentioned, you can get HPV following the vaccine, extremely rare among young women. Women and it's showing up in young women that have been vaccinated with HPV. An extremely rare uh, event is to have uh, cervical cancer at that age, you know, in your 20s. It's usually a disease you don't get until you're 50 or 60 years old. And, of course, they haven't proven that it protects because of that. Because they're giving it to teenagers, and they've got to wait 50 years before they see the results. So they're 
people are taking it without any knowledge as to whether it actually works. We'll find out 50 years from now how well it did, you know. By then it'll be too late because so many kids are actually being destroyed by it. There are young girls who are becoming completely debilitated, like, um, you know, a kind of extreme form of chronic fatigue syndrome and uh, all kinds of autoimmune problems and uh, neurological problems coming out of that vaccine. How is this happening? Aren't these drugs supposed to be tested before they're tried on humans? Or is it, yeah, they do. They really cheat with the test. And HPV is a good example because they, this is really laughable. They use an, a, a placebo, quote, quote unquote placebo, that contained aluminum in it. So they put aluminum into the placebo. And aluminum is probably the most toxic chemical in the vaccine. You can't call it a placebo if you put aluminum in it. And there were high rates of death in both, both sides, of, both arms of the study. There was anomalously high death rate among the teenagers that were given the placebo as well as the ones that were given the drug. According to Mr. Damon's book, uh, For Liberty and Sickness for All, aspartame did show that it caused cancer, um, and the government was suing them for fudging the results, and it still got through the FDA, through some chicaneries, through some very well-known politicians, um, and we're still consuming it. Yes, yeah, so aspartame is, is one I've seen, and that is really interesting. It's a very interesting molecule, and I agree with you that that's another one we can add to the list. And people don't realize just drinking a, a diet soft drink could be so toxic, you know. And then another uh, drug that's totally untested, I mean, the fluoride is supposed to help with tooth decay if you put it on a tooth, yet it's put in all of our water and it seeps into our soils into our foods etc and it's not supposed to be in our body it substitutes for iodine it will glom onto anything it's in the body it's very greedy to attach to things and there have been a lot of adverse studies but yet this is a drug that we're all subjected to and there were no tests right I agree with you and in fact I've, I'm an author on a paper on fluoride we did a big uh, a long paper a group of us and um, it's very interesting because it combines with aluminum to form an aluminum fluoride complex that looks a lot like phosphate. And this causes a lot of trouble with uh, phosphate metabolism in the body. It causes a lot of different problems. Uh, fluoride is very toxic. Um, and in, in combination with aluminum, it becomes a very interesting effect that has uh, all kinds of consequences. And I, I think it's obvious to me that the problem was the fluoride was building up. It actually comes out as a, as a toxic residue from the phosphate fertilizer plants. And that's why they had a problem because they didn't want to just pile the, pile the fluoride compounds into a toxic you know, dump site. So they just got this brilliant idea of distributing it over the entire water supply so they could get rid of it. I think it's more a matter of trying to get rid of a toxic chemical that they had a problem with than it was to actually promote a, a lack of um, a tooth decay. And fluoride actually causes fluoridosis in the teeth, which is a... Um, it causes the teeth to be, you know, unhealthy. It also causes our bones to be very dense and brittle. That's right. Uh, so, and it's also a, a biohazard. I mean, you have to get rid of it uh, very carefully, right. like calling poison control. Yeah. Like even toothpaste, it says if you swallow it, you have to call poison control. I know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's fluoride. Uh, fluoride. I, I always use a non-fluoride toothpaste, and I would encourage everybody else to do the same. And fluoride has been found in Wheaties and Fruit Loops, etc. Wow. I mean, another one that people don't use carelessly is Tylenol. 
you know, Tylenol oh. seems like an innocent enough thing, but it's actually, it, it causes a lot of uh, severe side effects, including killing the liver. Yes, it does have adverse effects in the liver. But studies on the NSAIDs show that they have long-term problems for the brain as well. It sounds like we should minimize our reluctance on taking uh, pills unless we need them. Absolutely. I mean, and of course, we're in this uh, downward spiral because everyone is has so many health issues, and then the doctor just hands out pills to try to fix them, and the pills are really usually just a patch. And often the pills have other side effects that cause you to have to take more pills, and pretty soon, soon you end up with 20 or 30 different pills that you're taking. It's crazy. It's really crazy. The United States consumes way more pharmaceutical drugs than any other country. And then there was one study on 450,000 children that if there was this fluoride compound added to the water, they had double the uh, amount of lead in their bodies. So uh, that's pretty scary. So, I mean, it just seems to be rampant that we're subject to all these things that other countries aren't allowing. When I interviewed Dave Asper, he said the Japanese uh, export all their toxic coffee with the ochre toxin A to the U.S. because we've got no standards. Got poor coffee. It's really amazing that our country is uh, such a stellar example of. Um, poisoning everybody you know we seem to be the best at it and I think it's going to be our downfall and you see it in our medical costs you know we have such a trouble with the uh, Obamacare and how are we going to pay for all these sick people it's really strange to me that they don't seem to want to ask the question why are we so sick you know why does health care cost so much in this country compared to other countries Um, Uh, doesn't seem to be something they want to talk about you know, uh, it looks like we're sick. coming to the end of our talk. So would you like to make some summarizing points? Um, I, I would like to throw in that I think all these toxins, including electromagnetic fields and glyphosate, etc., is causing our illnesses. But uh, other than that, Stephanie, any final points? Well, I agree with you. I think there's a huge uh, list of toxins that we're exposed to, but I do think glyphosate stands out, and that's mostly because it's, it is cumulatively insidiously toxic and we're not aware of its toxicity. Why it stands out in my view is because it is so pervasive. It's as you said, it's in the Cheerios, it's in the Oreo cracker cookies and the um, animal crackers. I mean, it's just very, very pervasive in our food supply and in our water and often in the air if you're living near the agricultural fields. And we view it as being a very safe chemical and therefore we use it carelessly. The government is not even bothering to test how much is in our food. So we're innocently ignorant, and we're poisoning ourselves every day with this chemical without awareness, whereas the other ones are more accepted as being toxic already. People know about them. Not that they're necessarily fixing the problem, but there's better awareness. So I think this is what sets glyphosate apart from the others. I would encourage anybody listening to go to a strictly organic diet. I think that helps certified organic. My husband and I, when we shop, we always buy certified organic. We don't eat food that's not. Okay, we're we coming out to a close, folks, We're coming to a close, so I would like to recommend people be aware, uh, read the labels, do some research, uh, look online, follow some of Stephanie's uh, information. Her Facebook page has so much information on it. So do your research, uh, eat well, avoid these toxins, and and learn so you can help yourself and others, and be well. Thank you for listening. 
Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.